0: Hello and welcome to the Mythological Africans podcast, where we read and talk about stories from African mythology and folklore. I am your host, Helen Day. Episodes of this podcast come from live recordings of the Mythological Africans storytime sessions, which take place every Friday evening at 5pm Eastern Time US in the Mythological Africans Twitter space. In this episode, we'll explore the folklore of the Amazigh people. We're going to start with the the stories. Um, We'll read those stories and talk about them, and then we'll circle back to the poems later. Hopefully by that time, you know, someone, fingers crossed... (laughs) Hoping for for a miracle here. Someone who speaks the language has joined us. Um, Otherwise, we will just read the poems in English as we've done before. Here comes Sonia. Hey, lady. Good to have you in the room. All right. So I have the links already available to everybody who wants them. They're in the top part of the space. And we have two stories um, we're going to read from. One from... An Anthology of Tashirit Amazi Folk Tales by Harry Strumer, who is a Dutch um, researcher, collector, ethnographer person. And then the other one is Tales and Legends of Morocco by Elisa Cimenti, And then, of course, the poetry is going to come from the Treasury of African Love Poems and Proverbs, um, which we've been kind of reading through the last couple of weeks. And I want to insert here that it is my understanding that the Amazigh people are also called Berbers, but uh, I think that that word is not a word that they want to use to refer to themselves. So we are going to go by Amazigh. but if you are out, you know, looking things over and you run into Berber folklore or something related to the Berbers, um, just keep in mind that these are the Amazigh people and this is how they want to refer to themselves, all right? Okay, cool. So we are going to get started. The first story, um, I, I read through it and I like it quite a lot and I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. It's from this anthology of um, Amazigh Folk Tales by Harry Truma. If you are going to go look at it, it is on page 57. So that's where we're going to start page 57 and it's called the girl who once lived among the gazelles and before we go into it i want to give a you know content warning there is some violence in this story um not you know not as bloody as we've had in some of our other stories but there is some violence in here and some you know hairy situations um so just want to make sure that everyone is appropriately conditioned we'll start the girl who once lived amongst the gazelles and this is on page 57 if you're following along so it goes there was once a man who had a son and a daughter and one day he wanted to go on pilgrimage he renovated his house and made a small window in it he gave instructions to the saying to him please here is some money go to the window every morning and ask my daughter what she needs bring that to her keep doing this until I come back from, privilege, from pilgrimage. The murezin agreed, and so the man went on pilgrimage with his son. But after some time, the murezin fell in love with the girl. But the girl did not want him, and so the murezin said to her, I have time until your father comes back to seek a cause for which he will surely throw you out on the street or even kill you. The girl said to him, do whatever you want, and so the murezin said to her, good. Finally, the father and the son were on their way back from pilgrimage. The Merizim sent a letter to them, saying, Your daughter has made a fool of you and taken away your good name. You cannot come back here. All villagers know about it. The girl's father had the letter in his hands. He was shocked and very sad. The poor fellow, he sent his son, saying to him, Please, O oh son, go home. Put a ladder to the wall of the house. Go into the house and say to your sister that she must go with you. Bring her to a desert and kill her. You must bring me back her clothes and a mouthful of blood that I will drink in order to cool down the burning anger in my heart. The boy said to him, All right, father. And so he went to the house, put the ladder against the wall and climbed up. His sister came out to him. She said to him, Welcome back, brother. The boy did not answer. After some time, he spoke to his sister. Your father told me to bring you to a desert and kill you there. All right, brother, she said to him so she prepared herself and went away with her brother he took her to the desert and having arrived there he took away her clothes and chased her into the desert he said to her oh sister don't ever go back to our house all right brother she said to him the girl roamed in the desert and the boy went back home he found a hare on the road caught it killed it and took a mouthful of blood which he brought to his father his father drank the blood and then the father and son returned to their village They stayed there, but they were unable to find anyone who could say anything about his daughter. Now, let us return to the girl. She arrived in a desert where she found some gazelles, and so she accompanied them and ate grass with them. Eventually, her hair had grown so long that she was completely covered by it. Now, let us talk about a king. One day, this king went hunting with his men. When they arrived at that desert, they roused the gazelles and saw a girl amongst them. They saw that the girl... They saw that girl and went back to the palace. The king issued a proclamation, saying to the people, Who can bring me that girl that lives amongst the gazelle? A Jew came to him and said, Sire, if she is human, I will bring her. If she is a genie, I cannot do a thing about her. And so the king said to him, All right, O Jew, go and show your skills. The Jew went to work. He filled two plates with couscous, one without salt, the other with salt. He placed a charcoal oven with fire in it in the desert. He also set the plates in the desert. He went to watch the girl, whether she would come and try the couscous or not. The girl came. She found food and a fire to warm herself. She stayed there and ate. She ate only from the plate containing the salted couscous. She ate until she had had enough. Then she warmed herself at the fire. The Jew repeated this for eight days until the warmth of the fire had weakened the knees of the girl. Then the horsemen came to her. They caught her and brought her to the king. The king married her and organized a wedding party of eight days for her. She spent a year with him and bore him a son. But the king noticed that the girl did not speak, and so he called the Jew again and said to him, Just make this girl speak for me. The Jew said to him, All right, sir. And so he went to her and waited until the woman was about to put her baby in bed. Then the Jew came into the room, took her baby, and did as if he wanted to throw it out the window. The woman jumped up. She wanted to scream out, but then a little grass ball that had been stuck in her throat came out. She could speak again. And so the Jew left the room, and the king came in and was very happy. So happy, he organized a feast for seven days. He organized this feast because his wife was able to speak again. Time passed, but one day the vizier, the king's advisor, came again. He had fallen in love with the woman. But the woman told him, Go away from me. The vizier said to her, Perhaps there is no law for me now, but the time will come. No, it will not, the woman said to him. Never in the world. If you do not want me, I will kill the boy, the vizier said to her. She said to him, I do not want you. Kill him if you must. And so the, boy, the vizier took the boy, her son, and threw him against the wall, and then he left the room. The woman dressed herself and went into the desert. She went on until she finally reached the desert. There she found a shepherd herding sheep. She said to him, Please give me this sheep and I'll give you this ring. All right, the shepherd said to her. She took the sheep and killed it. She took its stomach out, washed the skin, and put it over her head so that she was like a scald head. When she arrived in the town, she hired a shop and made a doughnut bakery in it. She changed her clothes, dressed in men's clothes, and she sold doughnuts. People thought she was a man. Let us return to her father and her brother. Her father waited a whole year. He did not hear anyone mention his daughter, in either a good sense or a bad sense. Then he said to his son, Oh God, my son, did you really kill your sister? You didn't, did you? Oh no, father, I only chased her into the desert, his son said to him. Come on, he said to his son then, let us go look for her. So they went on until they arrived at the town, where the girl sold donuts. Meanwhile, the musing, the king, and the vizier had also been searching for the girl. They arrived all in the same town and god brought them together in that town they all went to that shop the girl said to them please gentlemen i invite you to spend the night here you're strangers in this town and so am i we can kill time tonight telling stories to one another all right they said to her they left the shop and after the evening prayers they went with the girl and stayed with her she brought them an evening meal and doughnuts. she made tea for them then she said to them who among you will tell a story they all said to her, What shall we talk about? We have nothing to tell. You tell us something. All right, she said to them. I'll tell you a nice story. She told them everything that had happened to her. And when she had finished, she said to them, Now this is my father. This is my brother. This is my husband. This is the Museen, And this is the vizier who killed my son. She took away from them the stomach skin that covered her hair and let her hair fall down her face. Her husband embraced and kissed her, and so did her father and brother. The father of the girl then caught the Muzin and killed him. The king caught the vizier and killed him. Then the king took them all home with him. The father of the girl became the king's deputy. And once again, the king organized a joyous feast, lasting seven days. I ate some honey and butter at that feast. I left them there and came here. All right, you guys. Any thoughts on this one?
1: No amazing story
0: lovely i'm glad you enjoyed it i'm glad you enjoyed it um i especially like this one because the the woman got some justice in the end we've read a few in here where (laughs) you know things things didn't quite turn out as we hoped you know um, and that's the, the interesting thing about folk tales um, from the African continent, That's we've always talked about. You know, it's not always a happy, happily ever after. There have been, you know, stories where, in the end, we've all been sitting in here so depressed and in our lives. So it was nice to see one with a happy ending and a resilient heroine and, you know, um, a woman who was kind of willing to endure things, um, even if, you know, just. to to preserve her sanity it sounded like and you know the fact that her her brother showed her mercy you know her brother didn't didn't go with the 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 rules of the society that that says something so you might have noticed some islamic influence and um, that is of course because of the part of the world where this comes from right um i find that and I may be wrong here, but I find that uh stories, folktales and folklore that comes from the northern part of the continent, um, where there's obvious, you know, influence from Islam, the, the, the Islamic religion tends to get really well incorporated into these into these um folktales as compared to um uh folk tales from parts of the continent where um uh it was Christianity, you know, There, there is a way, I don't know if anybody else has noticed from the, the time to have spent some time in the Northern African continent, how the the folklore of the, the indigenous people and the Islamic folklore kind of blend in with each other, you know, and sometimes it's hard to tell if you're talking about a jinn, which is a creature from, from Islam, or, you know, the, the spirits of the indigenous people in these Northern African countries, but I, I think there is, something really cool in how they've blended together without too much conflict it seems. Of course I'm not from that part of the world so I can't speak particularly authoritatively on that it's just me making an observation so any any thoughts on this? Any other thoughts on this story? Um, my apologies, my cat as usual needs to make her presence now. So
1: I also noticed that there's a touch of the of course this is true because I was there story that the Greeks took credit for laying out that format. And this obviously Mm -hmm. happened way before the Greeks.
0: You know, it's so interesting that you mentioned the Greeks, Sonia, because while I was doing some, you know, light research to prepare for this session, I saw something which hinted that Uh, the story of Eros Viking is actually an Amazigh story which, you know, flew, I mean, of course, Algeria and Morocco are right there across the Mediterranean from, from Greece. So there was this there's this theory apparently that um the story of Eros and Psyche and it wouldn't surprise me if many, many, many folk tales from Greece and Rome are actually folk tales from northern African people and vice versa, right? And um there was there was a paper which um Dug into this an an uh, an academic research paper, but I wasn't able to find it. So, because what I wanted to do was find the original, original, you know, Amazigh story, and it would be amazing to to get uh lay hands on that. So keep your eyes are open, people. If you run into it before me, um, let me know. But yeah, it you know it it doesn't surprise me. It's possible that you know the the folk tales or the storytellers from, from the Greek tradition borrowed this. You know, from the Amazigh people, and um, that that way of ending a story um, fits in with the formula that you find in many parts of the African continent. You know, there is there is, um, and even I was reading um, uh, of Mules and Men by Zora Neale Hurston, and there is a, a series of words that get spoken at the end of at the end of stories, which you know, it's not exactly I was there, but you know, it's it's. You know almost a, a formulaic way of ending a story, which I think is standard to to folk tale or storytelling traditions but
1: yeah
0: yeah um I'm very, very intrigued by this Greek Amazigh. well
1: we were uh we had a somebody i had a somebody else I had a conversation with earlier this week It's like we uh the current standard is oh we're gonna send our kids to one of the ivy league schools in America. But back then the equivalent Ivy League schools would have been in like Timbuktu or all of those mm, things. So of mm. course the Greek are gonna send their best and brightest there. Mm-hmm. And then they take it back up and they're like, Oh, did you just create this? Yes I did. You know? Yeah. Even though it's probably word for word from something they heard back at school. Right.
0: And and you know, I think this goes back to that whole um way in which Portraying the African continent as the dark continent does so much disservice to the fact that <clears throat> the African continent was actually a, a hub of acti- activity back in the day. Trade, exploration, you know, not in the not necessarily in the exploitative way that it ended up being. But you think about the fact that, you know, yeah, Egypt kind of gets, you know, portrayed as it's not really Africa, but it was, you know, on, on the trans-Saharan safe trade route. You know, there were people going back and forth from West Africa, from, you know, Southern Africa, from East Africa. Stories travel, cultures travel, you know, the the Library of Alexandria was was probably one of the biggest centers of learning back in the day, and I have a hunch that if we got access to what was in that library, we are going to find a lot of stories and ideas and artifacts that came from the rest of the African continent, which just got lost because it was burned to the ground. So. You know, one thing I really try to emphasize as much as I can with these storytelling sessions is that there was a back and forth flow, right? As much as the stories went up into Europe, there were stories coming down. There was a fertile, fertile transfer of ideas. And we as African people need to claim that place that we own in the history of humankind, right? We, we need to claim that place with all its attendant goods and evils, we need to fully step into the fabric of history that has been denied us for so long, and storytelling is one of the best ways to make that connection. You know, because over time, you know, stories will change. You know, people will take credit for things that were not rightfully theirs. People will forget. There is a story um, of this island in the um, Indonesian, Singapore. You know, that part of the world. This island. You know, island people. And this ethnographer and anthropologist person goes there and starts digging into their folktales and is just startled because so many of the folktales were similar, like almost word for word similar to German folklore. So for the longest time everybody was just mystified, like what the hell is going on here? You know, you can imagine. Imagine how far away these, these entities are from each other. But these stories were about, you know, the indigenous creatures, uh, the gods, the spirits. But the themes, the stories were similar, almost exactly what came out of um, German folklore. In some of them, at least, of course, there were some that were 100% of the people. So, but eventually, it, it, was, it was discovered that a German priest, way back hundreds and hundreds of years ago, had been marooned on that island. And in the time that he spent there, he told people you know, stories from his childhood and the people learned them and liked them and incorporated them into their own storytelling traditions. So it's possible that, you know, in the trades and things that happened, you know, I mean, there were Africans as far north as Britain and stuff. You know, stories went with them. I think, again, my historical crush, um, um, yeah, Yasuke, the East African man who went as far as Japan and who loved the telling stories and, you know, rose through the ranks of Japan, the Japanese court to become a samurai. Because Partly because of his fighting ability, but also because um, the the guy who was his patron loved to listen to him tell stories. I bet you, I bet you, there are aspects of Japanese culture and storytelling traditions which have been influenced by this guy. Because from what I understand, in the era after that, that Japanese um, warlord, and I forget his name, after he died was the Edo period in Japanese uh, cultural history, which was just a flourishing, you know. I I would be hard-pressed to think that Yasuke didn't have an influence there. But the, the reverse is also true. We'll find that, you know, I did a thread the other time on, on games. And one of the games I did, discovered playing from my childhood was so similar to a game that you know, this, this British guy was talking about. I imagine missionaries taught things, told stories. So there's, there's always been this fertile back and forth. And I... I'm 100% for us as African people, you know, fully claiming our place in the fabric of history as we were here too. You know, it wasn't just always people telling us what to do. We were telling people what to do too. We were influencing beliefs and stories, and and that is a good thing, one way or another, right? Let me get off my. Soup
1: box now. <laughs> Let me. I'll finish it off real quick. There, I can't. will find the <laughs> article again for you. But there's even evidence that the stories, our stories, went as far as to the Vikings. They're finding mm. proof now that the Vikings weren't the homogeneous um, uh, culture that people once thought it was, and they had mm. a very strong African influence too.
0: And I'm always just so fascinated by that because you think about it, people went to all that trouble to travel around the world and you think they just, you know, kind of went back without anything. Of course they didn't. As much as, you know, people came to our lands and took things from us too, we went abroad, took things. It was, again, fertile, fertile, back and forth. And that's something we should claim wholeheartedly. Um, I've talked about this before, even in um, divination practices. Um, there is evidence that you know um, the the tablets used by um, Ifa div- diviners has links to a type of divination done in more in uh, Madagascar, which has links to a type of divination done in the Arabic world, which has links to the I Ching in China, you know. The, the the um logic underneath it all they're they're all connected. So we we really need to, you know, claim claim our place in the fabric of human history, the fabric of the human story. We have always been here and we will always be here. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing, right? All right. So this this is all exciting, you know, and it's worth keeping our eyes open wherever we're looking, you know. Um, but also, it emphasizes how important it is for us to know our own stories, I think, because if we don't know our own stories, we wouldn't know when to recognize them when we see them, right? I mean, one of the most eye-opening things for me as I've been curating Mythological Africans is just how often I go, oh, wow, look at that. That happens too in xyz uh a country or in xyz people intra-african and between africa and the rest of the world if we don't know our own stories if we are not familiar with our own stories we will not be able to recognize them when they they show up elsewhere you know so um definitely definitely makes the case for us to know know ourselves a little better and that's what we're all about here right so i'm gonna do a quick check in the room um the one person who might have been able to read amazigh is no longer here. So we're still handicapped. But we're going to go ahead and read the next story. The next story is from um, the book I shared in here. Um, Tales and Legends of Morocco. And this one, I should emphasize that I don't know if this is an Amazigh story. Um, this this f- folk tale collection from Morocco, so it doesn't specify any are just one of many, many people, many different people in, in Morocco. So um, we're just going to label this one Morocco, right? And this story is on page, let me make sure I have that right. It's called The Lizard, and it's on page 34 of the book. It's a short one. It's a little bit sad. But if we had a story of love that turned out right, then we need to have a story of love that went a bit south too, right? So let's see the story of a lizard. And so the story goes that once long ago, there was a certain beautiful young woman who loved her husband deeply and expected to be loved in return, for love is a woman's whole existence. Mm-mm. Every morning when she washed her face, she pronounced the following magic formula, which is supposed to render a wife lovely in the eyes of her husband. I greet you, O oh purified countenance. You derive your beauty from Lala Fatima, the noble daughter of the prophet. And one day, accompanied by her friends, she went to the bath dressed in a handsome ring cloak, which covered a Tunic of white lace. Her hands and her feet were tinted with henna and encircled with gold bracelets. A diadem was set on her forehead. I wear the color of hope and of the new grass, for I am indeed a happy woman, she said when her companions complimented her on the color and elegance of her dress. But her happiness came to an abrupt end when she entered her home. There she came upon her husband and her sister in a fond embrace. The young woman cried out. Her sister, far from being confused at being taken by surprise, laughed insolently. It is me that your husband loves, she said mockingly. It is me he wishes he had married. The sorrow of the young woman was so great that she asked for death in order to put an end to her suffering. Allah pardoned her sin, for it is a sin to wish for death before the time set by him. Instead, he had pity on her and transformed her into a beautiful green and gold lizard. And so today she no longer remembers her suffering. But she has not forgotten divine clemency. For every evening at the hour of the Maghrib, when a calls to prayer, she hastens towards the mosque. So a bit of a sad one, but what, what are your thoughts on this story? So of course this is one of those stories that you know explains why there are lizards, you know, with green bodies and lighter on the bellies and all of that. But the uh, the backstory, I think, was just a sweet, sad love story. Any thoughts on this one
1: your twenty first century sensibilities snuck out when she said she her only reason why a wife exists is to be beautiful to her husband
0: oh yeah the the whole um how was it phrased? She loved her husband deeply and expected to be loved in return. For love is a woman's whole existence. Hmm, indeed. <laughs> you know, I, I find statements such as this um interesting. I'm gonna step on my soapbox as usual, since you people don't want to talk, eh? You come here to listen to me talk or you come here to talk too? I want to hear from you guys, but anyway, I I made the hmm because, I mean I get it on one on one perspective, right? If you if you're in a in a cultural context where the love of a man was the difference between a good life and a miserable life, then of course you know being loved would be a whole existence. But I bet even at that time, you know, there were women who didn't give a rat's ass about whether or not a man loved them or not. So. <laughs> Balance, as they say, balance. Um, because we've read a few stories in here of you know women from northern African countries, um, who you know took matters into their own hands. I remember the 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 monkey girl, which is actually one of my favorite stories, and it's from the Kordofan region. And the Kordofan region, I believe, is in Sudan, which you know shares a lot with many of the countries we've said the Amazigh come from for for the Islamic influence and. She she was a badass, <laughs> you know, for lack of a better way of putting it. She was a badass. I think that that is one of my favorite, favorite, you know, high adventure romance type stories to come out of the African continent because she just took matters into her own hands and, and went there every time. So yeah, it's kind of poked at my 21st century sensibilities, like you say a little bit, Sonia, but context always right
1: contextual then I mean no, nothing's just, wrong
0: it's you nothing just said wrong. it faster
1: than I could respond
0: <laughs> nothing inherently wrong <loved>, <gasps> with wanting wanting to be loved you know it's a beautiful thing when it's healthy and you know, when it's healthy and what's the word recruited it's a beautiful thing so but then it can get dark real fast as we all know so anyway um quick room check anybody able to read amazee otherwise we're going to read these poems in english and it always makes me so sad when we have to because they sound so much better in the original language if not i am going to ask for volunteers anybody wants to read a poem for us just raise your hand and i'll send you the poem <coughs> Come now, my friends. Let's not make Mokuka do the work all the time. Ha. I didn't realize we were shy in this room. All right. I guess I'm going to read them. Um, Let's see. We have quite a few. And um, I'm, oh, I'm going to bitch about not being able to read them in the original language. I'm just going to keep bitching about this because ah, it's a shame. But we have a few. Um, we have one, two, three, four. We have four poems from the Amazigh people. Rising sun, crazy for you, restive horse, and hard is the first night. Right. So I'm going to read the first one, and if anybody is feeling inspired, please, you know, let me know by DMs, and you can read too. Okay, so the first one is Rising Sun, and it goes, O rising sun who beats on the rock in the morning, O you who have been in love, tell me the remedy that will help me, for the one I want wants me not, and the one I want not awaits me. Simple. Tortured. Any thoughts on this one? Alright. We're just taking it in. Just taking it in. This goes back to what I was just saying, right? Like, That um, love can be a beautiful thing on the one hand, um, when it's healthy and recreated. When it's unrecreated, you have points like this, right? Conversation with the son, asking for advice on what to do. Um, But hopefully this person found some answers, because these things are not ever easily resolved, are they? The second one is crazy for you, and it goes, the 14th day of Ramadan, I was crazy for you. They all watched and I fell under your spell. What sorcerer can explain your magic, O girl with the figure like a lamp that makes you flee from me so far? I enjoin you, just give me one second guys, This, this is not very clear. I enjoin you by all the children in the world, by the men of God wherever they may be, beautiful girl, do not abandon me. for you and the next one is restive horse and this is a conversation between a boy and a girl right and she says boy before meeting you i was impatient you thought i was fleeing you one thing was one thing was to know pleasure and the other was clear for you i have accepted hurt but truly your spoiled pleasure in the torrent has been swept away forbidden you is the way of goodness and then the boy responds, in the days when I was in love, I flirted with the rebels, for such was my life. I had a spirited mount, always panting to gallop away. Then I met your fine beauty, in every way agreeing with me, and my mount became restive. At sunrise, I was black and blue, so if you truly love me, then heal me. Any thoughts on this one? I you know we're being very silent tonight, so we might just be wanting to take take the poetry in. But I'm always interested in hearing what your thoughts are, so. right before we move on to the next poem, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about this one, because one of the stories I had hoped to read um, turned out to be a bit too long but I I have a feeling that this this poetry came out of the time when um I believe much of North Africa um you know and I'm not sure exactly when because there were successive, you know, attempts at conquests, right? There was the Portuguese and other European countries, but there were also, you know, Arab um invasions. And the poem that oh, sorry, the story that I, I said was a bit too long to read. Um, came at the time when the the invader, uh, the invaders were European, I believe, I believe French, so probably recent-ish history. Um, but just to speak about what this boy meant here when he talked about, you know, flirted with the rebel, he was flirting with the rebels. Um, it's probably, you know, a, a poem expressed between lovers, one of whom was part of uh, the rebellion against the different invading powers. Um, but then many, many, a lost story has been set, set in such context, right? It's usually what adds a little piquancy to the story. Um, but we have a final poem for the night. Hard is the first night. And it goes, the young girl applies henna between her tears. Her bracelets jangle as she moves. Her necklace is fragrant with clothes. Dear sisters, hard is the first night. Anybody have any thoughts on what this is referring to? Because I have, I have some some thoughts, but I don't know if it's if it's right. Because I believe henna is applied when a girl is getting married, right?
1: Sounds like advice. A mother's giving advice for the first night, for a wedding night. Hmm. That might be her version of the talk. Mm-hmm.
0: Any any cool. other thoughts on this?
1: Sorry, go ahead, Sonia. No, I was gonna say, which of course is useless, but because she has no frame of reference, of course she's crying. Mm. Mm. True, true, true. Any other thoughts on this
0: one? What the context might be? Oh, uh. you guys are a tough crowd tonight. What's going on? Is it just uh, they're the unfamiliar culture?
1: yeah i'm america so i really don't understand you gotta uh clarify me on it
0: right right no understandable I and mean, I, I think to a, to a large extent we're all kind of reaching in the dark here and trying to make sense of things um which again i'm going to go back to bitching about the fact that there is no one in here from that part of the world because it always makes things so much better i remember when we read poetry from the Bemba people we had Mukuka here to give us so much context and um, Fashola and Shewun were here when we did poetry from the Yoruba people. So and Rafiat, I believe, um, was here as well. So we had so much more context for that. And we missed out on that last week when we did poetry from the the Zulu people. You know, because we didn't have a whole lot of context. So that's the sacrifice we make. You know. But I always put the call out on the timeline, and if someone from the culture is able to show up then um, it's always great. Otherwise, we kind of muzzle our way through. And of course, having been exposed to this culture now, you have a bit of, you know, a nugget of information to start with. So if you run into something later on, you know, you, you can connect dots for yourself. And as always, if I see anything that you know, provides better context for us all, I will share on the timeline. So... Um, But that's really all I have for this evening, you know, I I understand the, you know, silence because we're working with a lot of unfamiliar material here, so, but I I hope you enjoyed the stories, Um, I really, really enjoyed the first one, especially, and I think I might add it to my list of stories about, you know african heroines who make my heart smile you know and and i'm glad we got to spend some time in the northern part of the continent because i feel like um quite often when we talk you know african cultures and things like that we leave out the northern part of the continent um probably because of you know historical factors and everything but these these peoples and these cultures are as much african as all of us are and it is my understanding that Amazi people and Amazi culture faces a significant amount of repression and, you know, marginalization. So it's it's always a good thing to, you know, give different give different uh, people from the continent their due attention and um, their due appreciation because they are part of the fabric that makes the African continent the wonderful tapestry that it is. Right. Again, my pause is for my cat. She... There's no respecter of persons, this one. So, <laughs> all right. Before we close up for the night, um, you all have probably seen it. I've not been able to shut up about it on the timeline, but uh, Mythological Africans got featured on an episode of the Monstrum Show, which is a YouTube show hosted by PBS. Um, and we got to talk about uh, the Adze, which is a creature from the folklore, the mythologian folklore of the Ewe people in Ghana, Togo, Benin, and Nigeria. So I'm going to share the link in here. If you haven't gotten a chance to watch it, go watch, you know, Mythological Africans, i.e. me, talk. It was a pretty, pretty exciting um, uh, time to get to, to, you know, talk about this creature and be part of the, part of the project, part of the episode. So do check it out. Uh, share with your friends. And come back for more. We'll be back uh, next Friday with a guest. And you watch out for that announcement because this is a writer who I love and we'll, she'll read one of her stories and, and talk about it. So watch out for that announcement. It's pretty exciting. But we have a guest next Friday. And um, I am hoping that we can get Philosophical Africans started this month. I have quite a few things going on and honestly I, I need to slow down a little bit so I'm trying to make sure that I don't overdo it um, but I'm hoping that we can get Philosophical Africans started um, at some point this month and if we do then I'll put out the reading materials and you know schedule the, the space so we all have it on our timelines and if you are wondering what Philosophical Africans is um, it is an upcoming tutor space gathering like this one but the focus will be on the philosophical thought of African people. So we'll have readings, um, some research papers, books, you know, blog posts, anything that is relevant to a particular African people's philosophy, worldview, mythology, and then we'll get to talk about it. And this is all to, you know, push back against this whole thing of, you know, us Africans not really being comfortable and familiar with our own worldviews because of the known influences, colonialism and the like. So keep an eye out for that. If not this month, then definitely next month, all right? Before we wrap up for the night, any thoughts, questions, comments, um, any complaints, recommendations, how we can make things go better from anyone?
1: No. Just all need right. to study. I just need to study my motherland, you know.
0: Well, i'm I'm glad you took time to join us today we and um hang around because the the whole point of mythological africans is to make this information accessible right it can be a lot conflicting you know incorrect and what i try to do here is to put you know information that is helpful and you know factual and accurate out there so stick around um we have YouTube videos, know if you follow the YouTube channel already. Um, we do that. We also do these Twitter spaces and almost every day, except for weekends, there is a thread or a post about some aspect of African culture, mythology, folklore. So stick around and, you know, we'll get to Discover the Motherland together, right? All right, you guys, thank you all so much for making the time to join in today and please be safe out there. Um, Take care of yourselves. It's a crazy, crazy world right now, but please make time to to rest and relax and give your brains a break. I will do the same, and I'll see you on the timeline or next Friday, okay? All right, you all, take care. Goodbye. If you'd like to participate in these discussions, please follow Mythological Africans on Twitter at Mythic Africans, and set a reminder for Friday evenings at 5 p.m.